This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Everybody get enough Thanksgiving? Still eating it? Still working on it? Question for you, real quick, by show of hands, how many of you already have your Christmas decorations up uh, for the holidays? Okay, yeah. All right. How many of you have had it up for over a week? Raise your hand so we can judge you. I mean, um, so no, to be fair, thank you. Like, uh, Like, I am that person that like, if I could get away with it, like literally... After Halloween, I would probably put my Christmas decorations, but um, my son Ian in the back would never let me get away with that. Um, he's like Scrooge. He thinks like December 24th is like the perfect time uh, to put it up. I cannot wait that long because I, I love the Christmas, the Advent season. I'm not, a, I'm not a good waiter in general. Like I wonder how many of you uh, don't wait well for Christmas. I was that kid and uh, I really hope my dad doesn't, isn't watching this online. And so... Try not to judge me. I know you will. Um, I was that kid that would always, no matter how hard my dad tried to hide the Christmas present, I'd figure it out. Like I remember uh, one time he thought he could hide a ping pong table uh, in the back of the woods. By the way, a ping pong table that uh, I grew up playing uh, to the point that uh, I played well enough to where Freddie T tries to play me in ping pong and like just loses every time. So pray for him. He's still in recovery. Uh, he, you know, needs that uh, self-esteem boost. Um, but then I get beat by Scott Samuels all the time. So it kind of works out. Um, he hid the ping pong table in uh, the woods right here in Sango behind a shed. He thought he got away with it, but he forgot to do a good job of hiding the ping pong paddles. Like he just laid them out for all to see, like in his closet underneath a bunch of clothes. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, And then there was the year that um, a new gadget came out that would change the entertainment industry forever. It was called the VCR, Um, not beta. For those of you who remember that, I know I'm dating myself. And he thought he could hide the VCR by getting it like at the last minute. But the problem was he got the VHS tapes that go in the VCR like a few weeks before, and I found them. And then then there was the year that he thought he could surprise me with an Atari uh, by putting it in a wooden locked chest, but didn't realize that there were hinges on the back that you can just unscrew, right? Like, I don't know what, I know I told you not to judge and you're judge. I feel the judgment and that's, that's okay. Like Advent is about waiting, right? Like the reason we light the hope candle, the reason that we light the joy candle and then the love candle and the peace candle and ultimately on Christmas, the, the, the Christ candle is because we are celebrating, as was said earlier, the arrival of Christ. And you might be like, okay, are we celebrating the arrival of Christ like over 2,000 years ago? Are we celebrating the arrival of Christ when he comes again? Yes, right? Like we're in that tension. We're in that tension of uh, Christ has already come and yet he is coming back again to set things right And a lot of us, you feel that tension, right? You feel the joy, but you also feel uh, the pain. And we need need to acknowledge that this is a difficult season for some people. And uh, I've mentioned this, I think, earlier in the year, but in New Jersey, one of the big sayings, um, and I haven't heard it as much down here, 
is this very simple saying of it is what it is. You, you've heard people say this, right? Like it, is, it just is what it is. Like, you know, somebody say like, I, I got a flat tire. Oh, sorry, man. Well, it is what it is, right? Or maybe it's more serious. Maybe it's, yeah, I got a really bad uh, diagnosis. Man, I'm so, so sorry. Well, it is what it is. What are you going to do? Okay, my marriage is in trouble. I'm so sorry. I'm praying. What can I do to help? Yeah, it's all right. It is, it is what it is. I want you to know that Advent speaks into this. If you're at a place in your life right now where you are feeling that, that lack of hope, Advent says it is what it is, but it's not what it one day will be. It is what it is, but it's not what it one day will be. Some of, some of you this morning need to hear that because the holidays are a favorite time of the year for a lot of us in this room. And at the same time, we need to acknowledge that for others, it is a magnifying glass to some of your deepest pain. There are some of you in here that have lost loved ones during the holiday season. And for you, as much as you love it, you also feel it right? You feel the loss of a loved one, maybe a friend or a family member, or maybe it's the first or second holiday that you've experienced them without them, and it's a reminder of that. For others of you, maybe you have relationships that are strained with your family, and the holidays sort of force you to deal with this person again, right? As you, you actually have to do meals with them, or maybe your relationship is so strained that uh, they're not there as well, and you're feeling that too, Still others have either lost a job or you're just not keeping up with this inflation and you're wondering, like, how am I even going to be able to provide for my family, let alone provide a good experience for this Christmas season? And I want you to know that we celebrate this morning the hope that comes in Advent, the hope that comes in a Jesus that has come before and will come again in the future. And what I want to tell you is that this hope is not found in this like sort of like sentimental Hallmark lifetime Christmas movie sort of Christmas, right? Like our hope is not found in like cute baby Jesus, you know, born in a barn, you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes and everyone's around him with cinnamon lattes just soaking up the moment, holding hands and, you know, isn't this great? We all have warm fuzzies. That's great, but that's not our hope, right? Our hope is much more secure, And so this morning, we are going to look at a passage that is not a typical Advent passage. In fact, um, it's a passage that when you look at it, you're like, Tim, how in the world do the prophecies in Matthew 2 actually give us a hope, a hope that is secure? And we're going to look at three different prophecies where uh, this phrase, and so it was fulfilled, you're going to see how there is incredible hope in each one of these prophecies. Now, In the United States, what we typically do with prophecies is we look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament and we look how Jesus fulfills them all and we immediately go to the numbers, right? Like, like, oh my goodness, like think about the odds of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies and people way smarter than me do all the math and like, yeah, the odds of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies is like one in billion, million, trillion, billion, like some number I can't even comprehend and we're like, man, that is amazing. And I want to tell you that that is amazing. But if we stop there at the numbers, we missed some of the most beautiful truths of Scripture. Because one of the things that we need to understand is that when you look at prophecy, uh, it's not this sort of scientific Western mindset where we just look at the prophecies and go straight to the numbers. The writers are doing something here that is beautiful. Now, 
we as Christians call ourselves a people of the book, but um, just being honest, I, sometimes I don't feel like I am because I have some scripture memorized and in my heart, but not nearly as much as I need to. The first century audience, the people that would have heard this story from Matthew, the people that would have listened to this were not only were they intelligent, but they were a people of the book. And so when a rabbi or a teacher would throw a verse out from the Old Testament, the hearer would hear the verse and go, oh, they're not just talking about that verse. They're talking about this passage. And a lot of them would literally have that like memorized. And so they would hear the teacher and go like, they said this, but they're talking about this. And that's what you're going to see here this morning in what Matthew is doing because he respects his audience and he knows that they're going to know what he's talking about when he says these verses. So we'll look with me with uh, starting off in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. Read with me. It says this. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. We know this, we know this story, right? Remember this story that Mary has to be on the run because you have this evil king, King Herod, that is desperate to find this new king. The, the best way I can explain this, imagine if somebody went to the Kremlin in Russia and came up to Putin and said, hey, uh, Putin, there's a new king of Russia. Do you have any idea where he is? <laughs> like, like, how do you think that would go for that person? How do you think it would go for that, that potential new king, right? Immediately, the KGB is gonna be sent out and we're gonna figure out where this rival Putin is and we're gonna, we're gonna take him down. Right? That's kind of what's happening. King Herod gets incredibly um, paranoid because of the, the, um, the arrival of these magi. It says that there's this new king. And what does he do? He sends out and he goes, well, I can't find them because the magi trick him. And so he's like, I'm just going to kill all the firstborn boys to make sure that I've handled this and to make sure the new king doesn't grow up to be king. And um, the scholars say if you do the math, that it means that Herod probably killed between 25 to 50 infants in this episode. Now, imagine for a second if you're Mary in this situation. Like, you have a newborn, and I, we, have, we have a lot of newborns, like, here, right? Like, <laughs> um, Blake and Emma just had a baby, so many others as well. Having a newborn by itself is really, really difficult. You know, even like the sleep, we always talk about like, oh, I slept like a baby. Like, what does that mean? It means you wake up every two hours crying, right? Like, that, that's great. You slept like a baby. It's hard to have a newborn, but imagine Mary here. She's probably 13, 14 years old in a culture that would have been, where it would have been incredibly shameful to be pregnant out of wedlock. But on top of all those stressors, you now have the most powerful man in the world, King Herod, that is coming after you and wants to kill you and your baby. You want to talk about a feeling of despair. This is not a sentimental Christmas. This isn't the cute, cuddly Christmas that we want to talk about. This is the reality of what Jesus was born into. And so we ask the question, as Matthew writes this passage to a Jewish audience, he's going to tell them, here is the type of God that you are worshiping right now. 
And if you're asking this question, like, what does Advent say to me this year when I'm in despair and when I'm losing hope? I hope that this brings you hope. We're going to look at three things that give us hope this Advent season. Number one is this. Our hope comes in a God that loves us, even in our mess, right? Um, Now, some of you this morning have lost hope and are in despair for reasons that have nothing to do with what you've done, right? Like it could be um, a diagnosis. It could be um, the loss of a family member, uh, lots of things like that. But a lot of us, if we're going to be honest, a lot of our anxiety and depression and despair and lack of hope is simply because of the bad choices that we've made, right? And so I'll give you some examples. If you're in a relationship with a family member, a spouse that is strained, we have to acknowledge that the reason it's strained is in part because of my shortcomings and their shortcomings. My sin and their sin have created the mess that we're in. Um, There are a lot of messes that are simply the result of our bad choices. Some of us are in debt because we're spending this much money even though we have this much money spent. In, uh, spent. Now, some, some of our financial situations are for situations outside of our control, but some of it is not. And we feel that strain, and now the collectors are calling and the mortgage is due, and we're like, how in the world is this going to work? And we're feeling the consequences of our mess. Still others of you, there's something in your life that could be good, but it's not just good. You've made it ultimate. Like you're chasing after it with all your heart and it's become an idol. It's become something that you put before God. Maybe it's an addiction and you, no matter what you do, you don't seem, you, you can't get a handle on it and you lose hope and despair. Does this passage have say, to say something to those of us like that? Well, look again at verses 14 and 15. It says this, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So if you're just reading that and you don't know the Old Testament, you're like, okay, I assume I can go back into the Old Testament and find a prophecy that says the Messiah is going to be coming out of Egypt. And what you actually find instead in Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, isn't a prediction of the future. It was something that had happened in the past, which I love this this sort of like bending of time is something that would have been very normal for a rabbi to do. Um, look at Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. This is in re- reference not to something in the future, but to the exodus from Egypt. It says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. I love this. God is describing here his relationships to his people is like a father to a child. And he says, the more I called my son, the more he strayed. Because at this point, the Israelites are turning to other gods, And so the question is, when we're in our rebellion, when we're running after gods that is not the one true God, what is the the posture of our heavenly father? It is a God, it says here, I led them with cords of human kindness. I love that, that phrase. Scholars aren't exactly sure what it means. I read one scholar that said it could have been a rope used to help a toddler walk. But here, get this picture. The picture here and the picture in the last verse 
is of a father who lifts his child up to the father's cheek. Look at this. This is the picture that God has given us right here. And those of you that are parents, you know what this is like. You know that when your kid is in rebellion against you, you might hate what they're doing, you might get angry, but does your love go away? If anything, your love can grow in those moments because it's like, oh, I see the decisions you're making and I want better for you because I love you. You might hate what they're doing, but your love doesn't go away. That is the picture that God gives here of like, man, the Israelites are running after God, other gods, but we worship a God that stoops down to feed us, picks us up, and presses us to his cheek. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. We worship a God that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of a rebellion, meets us where we are. In our community group, we talked recently about um, the Garden of Eden and how um, Adam and Eve were at first naked and not ashamed, and then they disobeyed, and all of a sudden they realize they're naked, and so what do they do? They start covering themselves up. And what does God do? Does God come in and say, like, yeah, you guys are being idiots, like, take off the fig leaves, like, that's ridiculous? No, God, by the way, I'm guessing is the ultimate fashion designer, designs and fashions clothes to clothe them in the midst of the consequences of their own sin. I love that picture. That's what Matthew is doing here. Matthew is showing his audience who God is, that in those times where you're feeling they're dark and they're, and they're desperate and they're hopeless, God is still there. And God says, even though your mess is in part because of your bad choices, you're still my child. Like nothing has changed and my love is unconditional. Um, we, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture because we worship a God that isn't fair. We, you don't want God to be fair. Fair would be us getting what we deserve. He in our mess, mess picks us up and holds us to his cheek. He is still there. He still loves us. We worship a God who stoops with his love. And catch this. This doesn't mean because his love is unconditional that I can just go and just do whatever I want now. It's the opposite. Romans 2.4 says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. God loves us in our mess. He loves us in our sin, but he loves us too much to let us stay there. And so what we should hear is as he's picking us up, he says, I love you and nothing you can do will change that. Now go and sin no more. Stop running after worthless idols. That's not where you're gonna find your joy. That's not where you're gonna find peace. That comes from me and from me alone. That's the first picture. Second one is this. Our hope comes in a God that is with us. In other words, Emmanuel, God with us. Look at the next passage in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Um, same thing. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. And same, same thing as before. This is not talking about something that will be coming later. Rachel was one of the mothers of Israel, favorite wife of Jacob, and this is, she is lamenting over um, the Assyrian and Babylonian empires taking the children of Israel away. 
And it says Rachel is weeping for her children with, quote, wailing and loud lamentation. Now, this gets a little bit tricky, and uh, I have to, like, lean on my friend, uh, the biblical scholar Tim Mackey, help me understand this in a really practical way. This would be like George and Martha Washington weeping over 9-11, like somebody writing a poem that they say is by George and, Was- George and Martha Washington weeping and lamenting loudly over 9-11. That is what Jeremiah is doing here. Again, not a prophecy. This is a way of saying to a people that needed to hear this, that God is not asleep. He is awake and he sees you and he is with you. I want you to catch this. Like God is not distant. Sometimes we'll talk about God looking down on heaven and watching us. Like that's not our comfort. Like that's not the picture here. This is a picture of a God that is weeping and lamenting with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In, in uh, real life students over the last month, we did a series called I Wonder where we talked about like what are the questions that keep you up at night? Like what are the questions that uh, maybe make you even question your faith? And one of the questions that comes up every single time we ask that question is if God is good and if he is all powerful, then why is there suffering in the world? And um, <laughs> that's way beyond the scope of this message to answer that. But let me just tell you a, a couple things. One, that's a problem. That, let's be honest, that is a real problem for Christians. Here's the thing, though. It's a much worse problem for literally everyone else, right? If you're an atheist that doesn't believe in God, then the problem of evil and suffering in this world offers you no hope because it just is what it is, and that's what it is, period, And almost every single other religion has a God that might see your suffering, but they stand back. Only in Christianity do you have a God that is Emmanuel, that is with us, that he is right there through the good times and the bad times, that when you have joy, God is cheering you on and celebrating with you. And when you're lamenting, you have a God here that wails loudly because he loves you so much. He is with you and he is crying and he's not at a distance. And that gives us hope. So the first hope is about a God that loves us even in our mess. mess. The second hope is a God that weeps with those who weeps, a God that is with us, a God that is Emmanuel. And then the third one is this. Our hope comes as we see a God um, who suff- that suffered so that we could have life. And last one, and this is probably one of my favorite, jump down to verses 22 and 23 where it says, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he would, uh, was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So um, again, I love this. At this point, you might go, okay, like I'm gonna now go find the verse that talks about where the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Spoiler alert, it's not there. Instead, what you see is out of the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets began to say something. They they began to describe the Messiah in a very specific way. Uh, Look at Isaiah uh, chapter um, 11, verse one. It says this, Um, uh, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. All right? In this messianic prophecy, 
it gives you this beautiful picture of a shoot coming up from a stump. If we have that picture, that's kind of the picture there. And so a lot, a lot of the rabbis then began to call this new Messiah is going to be called branch man or stick man. And this, I love, I love what God does through scripture here because lots of word plays here. Um, if we can look at the Hebrew and the Greek, what we'll see here is uh, the word Nazareth is the name of the town or Nazareth. And there you see the name Nazareth or Nazar means branch or stick. So the Messiah was going to be called stick man. And where does he come from? Nazareth or Nazareth, which is stick town. All right. Literally, like the sticks, all right? Um, anybody from Dover, can I get an amen? Like the Messiah came from Dover, they got, or, you know, somewhere far out in the sticks. The stick man came from Stickville. We had, in New Jersey, we had Branchburg. It worked much better. Like it came from Branchburg, right? Um, so if, if you're keeping track right now, you have Jesus who calls himself the bread of life. Where was he born? Bethlehem house of bread or bakery. You have the bread of life, born in a bakery, growing up in stick town, who is stick man, who will eventually die on what? A tree, a cross. Isn't that amazing? Like, doesn't that like blow your mind? I, I love how God puts all these things together. But it doesn't end there. There's another place in Isaiah that also talks about this shoot from Jesse. It's Isaiah chapter 53. If we can throw that up on the screen. Isaiah 53 says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then the beautiful verse, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. With his wounds we are healed. Advent is looking back and celebrating the arrival of Christ. And it's looking forward to his return. And what we have is hope in this bread of life, born in a bakery, stick man coming from the sticks, dying on a cross, a tree for our sins. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, man, Tim, Advent, I don't know, it brings up all this stuff in me. I, I get it. But I want us to this morning to just bring that before the Lord and to realize it is what it is right now, but it's not what it one day will be because we worship a Savior that came and conquered sin and death once and for all. Amen? Amen? That is our hope. That is our foundation. And it's a different hope than, man, I hope, I hope Tennessee gets a good bowl, right? Like that's, that's a different kind of hope. Our hope is a certain hope because we can look back and see what's already been done. We can see the victory that has been won. It is a hope that is a foundation that nobody can take away from us. As we look to the future, that's hope for now, and that's hope for what is to come. And so as followers of Jesus, I want to just say that for us, it means we need to learn what it means to grow in the gospel. 
And you might think, well, the gospel, that's like, that's for like non-Christians, right? Like that's just the basics. No, the gospel is something that as a follower of Jesus, you should never get tired of. And it's something that we should grow in every single day of our life. And I love, I love that this morning is also not just the beginning of Advent. It's a time for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which the Lord's Supper is a chance to take the truths of the gospel and drive them deeper into our heart. And so we're going to end this time with a meal. And uh, I know this was Thanksgiving week, which was an awesome meal. This meal is actually more important than any other meal that you will have this month. Because this is the meal that we take these truths that we talked about and drive them deeper into our hearts. And so we have open communion here, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, whether, you attend, whether you're a, a member of real life or not, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take part of this meal with us and to remember what our hope is founded on. It's founded in this Jesus that died for us and rose again three days later, and that changes everything. And so I'm going to pray, and again, I'm just going to invite you, if you um, are a follower of Jesus, to come and take the Lord's Supper. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this would be a great time to sit and to reflect on what we've talked about this morning, and maybe even respond to the call, the call of love on your life, to turn from your sin and to trust Jesus uh, for the rest of your life. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much that, um, that Advent and this Christmas season isn't just about a sentimental feeling. It's not just about the songs which we love. Um, it's, it's about a celebration of what you've done, what you did over 2,000 years ago, and the hope that you will return and that you will make all things new. God, we long for the time when heaven meets earth. We long for that moment when all the pain and the sorrow of this earth is redeemed and God that we can live with you forever we can feel that and we feel that we are so close and so God would you just drive these truths deeper into our heart may you be the hope that we carry this Advent season Father we love you and we praise you it's the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said Amen you can stand and join us in the Lord's Supper Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.